Welcome to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. I'm Paul Sweeney, alongside my co-host, Matt Miller. Every business day, we bring you interviews from CEOs, market pros, and Bloomberg experts, along with essential market-moving news. Find the Bloomberg Markets Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and at Bloomberg.com slash podcast. We're going to bring in Brian Smolik right now. He is a principal and portfolio manager at Hood River Capital Management. They have three and a half billion dollars under management. And um, on a day like today, when we're seeing some volatility, but not a lot of movement in stocks, does it feel peaky to you? Does it feel like we're hitting um, the top as far as this market is concerned? We don't think it's peaky. We're constructive at this point. I think the market's just been digesting huge gains over the last 12 to 18 months, uh, folks are worried about inflation uh, starting to pick up with with the economic backdrop slowing somewhat. But we think earnings revisions are going to be positive from here. Uh, most companies that we talk to, we talked around 400 publicly traded companies every quarter in small cap. We think demand is really strong and costs are relatively contained. Street estimates need to move up and valuations are pretty attractive. So we think as the earnings season plays out this quarter and over the next couple of quarters, the market will move up with earnings and and you want to be in stocks. Uh, you guys are in small caps, smaller caps, small bid caps, Brian. Uh, give us a sense of how those are performing, how you think they should perform going forward. So year to date, small cap has lagged uh, the S&P 500, uh, the Russell 2000s behind approximately 500 basis points, the, small, the Russell 2000 growth, which is our primary benchmark where small cap growth investors is only up 5%. Uh, we think that the valuation for small cap versus large cap is particularly attractive, especially when you look at small cap growth. Valuations on a relative basis or a parity on a PE basis for next year, usually at the premium because you have higher growth which comes back to what I said earlier, where if earnings come through in small cap companies and in large cap companies, they're both, both they're going to move up, but small cap's going to move up uh, more than large cap. What are the biggest uh, headwinds to that, to earnings growth? Inflation is probably the biggest headwind. Um, also, if you get a slowdown, Internationally, in places like China, that 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 would be a that would be a headwind. Um, and so far, companies are managing it pretty well, especially in small cap. They're pretty nimble, so they've been able to adjust. But if wages move up significantly and demand slows down, that would also be a bad recipe. Yeah. But right now, we aren't seeing evidence that that tilts us negative at this point. The, the, the CEO of Philips this morning said his problems are chips and ships. So he's having yeah. a real problem yeah. getting stuff shipped around. Uh, prices are very high for that. And he's having a real problem getting the chips he needs to put in his products. Yeah. So I don't think that's a surprise to anyone or any of the companies we talk to at this point. They've been able to navigate that situation, and that's baked into people's estimates going forward, which, again, that's why I come back to if demand's better and supply chains loosen up, which I think in general that's going to happen. Uh, then you can see an upper provision to earnings estimates as that works through the system over the next nine to 12 months. All right, uh, Brian, you mentioned uh, earnings. We're just starting to get really into the thick of things here. We had some good numbers out of some of the big financials last week. What are you going to be listening for and looking for this quarter? So what we like uh, in small cap is that 
uh, you can find stocks that are inefficiently priced where the analyst estimates uh, tend to be a little bit stale. You have less analysts that are covering them. And so you can buy good companies with good valuations where the fundamentals for the companies that we buy are going to be better than what's embedded in street expectations. So we have around 100 stocks in the portfolio, and we're going to be monitoring them on a case-by-case basis, uh, bottoms up, as to whether or not they're delivering on the, on the key performance metrics for, for that particular business. And in general, I expect uh, things to be really strong across the board, which, which I think is good in almost every sector uh, based on a lot of the macro factors that you've talked about, it's kind of baked in the numbers that demand super strong. When you look at, I mean, speaking of consumers, when you look at the savings rates here, do, do they spend it back down to the historical average? I think so. Um, we're overweight consumer right now. Uh, there are a lot of uh, stocks in small cap where, they're priced at median or historical valuations. And we're seeing the consumer come back in a lot of stocks. So we own one of our biggest positions is SeaWorld, for example, uh, which, which has been a really good stock. And demand is accelerating there based on consumers wanting to get back out and about and valuations attractive. And they've really worked through a good margin profile in the business. SeaWorld, I like that one. All right, Brian, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we always appreciate chatting with you, getting an update on the world of small cap stocks. Brian Smolik. Brian Smollett, Principal Portfolio Manager at Hood River Capital Management, $3.3 billion in assets under management. Uh, Looking at the small cap stocks, and again, as as Brian was mentioning, they've uh, underperformed uh, this year, but I think a lot of uh, fund managers have exposure to the small caps, particularly if you, you know, part of your cyclical trade, particularly part of the reopening trade, a lot of fund managers looking for exposure with small cap stocks think that they can get some uh, better bang for the buck in terms of a reopening uh, economy and the impact that that could have on smaller companies. Now let's bring in David Dietz out of Summit, New Jersey. He's a managing principal and senior portfolio strategist at PPAC Private Wealth Management, where they have $9.8 billion of assets under management. David, I find today's market really interesting as we're seeing such a jump in rates globally on the short end of the curve, in, in mostly in two years and in, in some five years. Um, and we saw here in Europe a, a sell-off in stocks. So it was bonds down, stocks down, and everyone this morning was talking about the 60-40 portfolio. What's your take on the age-old uh, construction well, I mean, you know, I think stocks are making, at least in the United States here, hugging the flat line after one of the strongest weeks since July. Pretty good showing, given um, those concerns on, on inflation and, and so forth that you just mentioned. Um, you know, I think equity investors have to take a long-term view here. Valuations are high. Uh, people ask me all the time, is this the right time to invest? And all I can say is, this is the wrong time to be in cash and, and most of fixed income because, of course, you know, the only thing more expensive than stocks are, are bonds, the Fidelity cash reserves yielding one-hundredth of one percent. And we know inflation is here. Inflation's going to get worse. We don't know how transitory or permanent 
it may be. But this is a tough time to just be sitting there in cash. And so I think uh, we're seeing, particularly among retail investors, a continuing a buy-the-dip mentality. And, of course, we just had the kickoff their earnings week last week. Um, uh, 80% of the companies have reported so far have topped earnings per share expectations. This should be a great earnings season. And, and so things actually look reasonable for equity investors going forward here. David, I see WTI crude oil at north of $82 a barrel. How do I play this in the stock market? <laughs> so, um, I think that uh, investors should, of course, stay diversified. And, of course, energy stocks are up 60 to 70 percent year to date, but there may be more room to go. And, and here's why. Although normally the cure for high prices is higher prices, right. we've got a situation here where energy producers don't want to produce because, um, you know, governments, policymakers, banks are telling them, no, you've got to go green. And so they're saying, well, why should I invest to take advantage of these higher prices because that's not the future. So you could have a situation, and I think we do have a situation, where supplies kind of dwindle or stay constant, Meanwhile, and, and therefore, but consumers and users cannot switch over to green sources as quickly as possible. And of course, what we've heard from the UK is some of the hope for green sources, for example, wind, have not been as productive as hope because wind speeds have died down. Who knew? But that's what we have. It hasn't been very windy here, apparently. Let's get to your stock picks, David. Um, what do you like in the U.S.? What gets you pumped in the morning? What, do you, what, do you, what are you excited to, to recommend when somebody asks um, for a pick? So, uh, you know, tying into that energy theme, we do think that um, uh, energy stocks are still well off their all-time highs, have uh, great dividends, uh, be, are being very conservative about spending money for new production and rather returning money to shareholders in the form of higher dividends and stock buybacks. You know, one of the bluest of all the blue chips is Chevron, um, you know, with about a 4% dividend, uh, very low price-to-earnings ratio. The stock was at one point well over 130 I think it's in low hundreds right now. Um, even if some energy, even if there's volatility and some energy companies go under, you, you know that just works out better for your your ultimate blue chip here, which is Chevron. So that's one we would like. The, the other area that I think it, <laughs> investors have to look at is healthcare, and I'm not quite sure why. I think there's a couple reasons, but a lot of the healthcare stocks, despite the fact that it's the healthcare companies that are getting us to the other side of the valley in terms of this COVID-19, are just way out of favor by investors. So one I would cite here is Bristol-Myers Squibb is at a 52-week low. Uh, you've got like a 3.7% dividend, which is more than twice what's the yield on the S&P 500, trading about eight times earnings. And what I like about Bristol-Myers is they fine-tune their focus onto oncology, into immunology. Those are the areas of the healthcare thing where people don't worry about prices. When you've got cancer, people will pay what it takes. And so they've got the highest margin focus here. And what I like is they've got a great R&D pipeline, but they're great in terms of acquiring other companies to augment that pipeline. Of course, they made a big deal with Celgene not too long ago, which gives them all the Celgene products. So Bristol-Myers, 52-week low, great dividend. What's not to like here? David Dietz, thank you so much for joining us. We always appreciate chatting with you, getting your thoughts on these markets, on some Specific names that you like at this time. David Dietz is a managing principal and senior portfolio strategist at PPAC Private Wealth Management. They've got $9.8 billion in assets under management, uh, and he is located in the bucolic town 
of Summit New Jersey. Matt, maybe you should think about Summit when you come back to the States. Do you know, I absolutely love Summit. <laughs> and um, no, seriously. And some of my closest friends live there. The thing is, uh, I don't want to commute to Penn Station. Yeah, good point. I, I don't... can't imagine a worse place to go than Penn Station. But I'll, I'll give you this, Matt. They are really finally, finally doing a huge renovation of Penn Station. So, yeah. uh, we so can it'll only be done by the time my daughter's in college. E- exactly. I've been waiting for this for 30 years, but they're, start- they're finally starting to get it done here. So we'll see what happens. Now let's get over to Janelle Woodward, president of Mackay Shields. They have $162 billion in assets under management. And Janelle, I think it's interesting. You have tested some market correction scenarios, all of which don't seem terribly unlikely. A resurgence of the virus... Uh, persistence of inflation, credit problems in China. What's your biggest concern? What's the biggest headwind? Yeah, sure. I, I think that's a great point. I mean, I think if we look back over the third quarter, those scenarios we tested um, and we saw some volatility in the market, but really we saw investors continue to engage and sponsor risk assets. So it gives us some confidence as we see some headline-related noise that investors are going to continue to to stay engaged. Uh, But to your question, what are we watching? Certainly right now we're watching inflation data, um, we're watching uh, rates, and and we're watching the Fed um, as we look forward to really, you know, how will we expect markets to to unfold uh, over the bounce of, of 21 and into 22. So I'm actually a big believer in the wall of worrier. I'm a natural worrier, uh, Janelle. Given that, how should I be thinking about these markets? What are you guys doing in terms of positioning your portfolios here, given what we do know about all those macro issues you just mentioned? Yeah, I think what we're really thoughtful about is is creating flexibility and optionality. And I think one of the things that matters right now a lot is liquidity, um, both as we think about the unknowns in the market, as, as you rightly highlight, um, but also appreciate that, that markets continue to trade to trade pretty well. Um, but we want to make sure that we have liquidity uh, freed up to take, take advantage of volatility as it presents itself. Um, I think structurally, when it comes to fixed income, uh, we're looking for some inflation protection uh, structures and portfolios, uh, staying a little bit shorter interest rates. Um, but we do remain fundamentally constructive, and, and we think that there's still significant opportunity in, in, in credit markets in particular. Where, where in credit markets? Yeah, I think, you know, some, some areas that we're really focused on is on the consumer side, uh, the housing side, um, and, and we still think there's some select, albeit less, uh, opportunities in some of the COVID recovery sectors. Um, so some of those are some areas that, that we're focused on um, as we kind of construct portfolios. But we certainly do appreciate when you step back and look at aggregate spreads and, and what things look like, that markets are certainly not as cheap as they were several months ago. All right. Given that valuation concern, which I think a lot of people certainly have, um, it makes this earnings period that we're really starting to get into the teeth of right now this week uh, all that more important for many investors. Janelle, what are you looking for from these earning reports? We had the financials last week, pretty strong numbers across the board. What are you looking for going forward? Yeah, I think I'd highlight two things that we're looking for. Uh, the first thing is we really are watching the margin story. And this ties back to the earlier conversation on inflation, on how supply chain pressures and energy price pressures in particular are really flowing through uh, earnings statements and, and to what extent those are not being passed on to the end customer. I think the other thing that we're watching from a fixed income perspective is really thinking about balance sheets. 
the strength of corporate balance sheets has been really important uh, for the overall credit sector to weather this period. And now we're at the point of time where we're looking how how are entities redeploying cash um, and are they doing it in a way that that is uh, supportive of both long term business trends, um, but also favorable to creditors. What um, how much return can you expect to be from real focus on ESG? I mean, do you give up some return in order to do the right thing or can you still make as much money as uh, you, you want to and you know, um, not invest in big ESG centers? You know, it's, it's a great question, especially as we think about credit markets through that lens and, and recognize who issues in those markets and, and what does it look like. And I will say, you know, going back to portfolios, we are seeing a broadening of what it means uh, of fiduciary duty and what it looks like and how do we think about materiality specifically uh, within, within fixed income portfolios. And it's something we're very thoughtful about. You know, I think the academic studies have been mixed and, and are still evolving in terms of this potential trade-off between returns and, and ESG factors. But it's really interesting. You know, we recently uh, worked with an external consulting firm to do a survey of some of our institutional clients, and we're seeing that mindset that begin to shift. Uh, we're seeing that investors actually believe you can get both, and on a risk-adjusted basis, investors are uh, better off or, or at least uh, uh, position the same to include ESG factors uh, within their investment mandates. And, you know, that was something that really stood out to us. Janelle, one of the issues I hear about ESG investing is, you know, the data is just not great to help me make a decision here. Like for traditional financial analysis, I have my income statement, balance sheet, cash flow statement, but nothing comparable in terms of breadth and depth on the ESG side. How do you guys think about that? It's a great point and something we ask ourselves every day. You know, we've been investing a lot in our ESG data architecture and making sure that we get that in. And, and the truth is the data is still very much evolving. You know, one of the things we're looking for um, is really looking for more guidance from uh, regulators in terms of providing clarity on terms and definitions and objectives to bring some uh, better clarity uh, to, to some of these data points. Um, so we've been really thoughtful on what we've seen to be material right. to date, um, but make sure that we're continuing to build that out and think about it um, and not be too prescriptive as we look forward. Right. And I'll note on the FA function on the Bloomberg Terminal Financial Analysis, there is a data tab for ESG data. So Bloomberg certainly uh, contributing to the data and the analysis there. Janelle Woodward, President, Mackay Shields, uh, located in New York City. We'll have more coming up. This is Bloomberg. Now, I want to get to Tim Courtney joining us now out of Oklahoma. He is the chief investment officer at Accentual Wealth Advisors. They have $4 billion in assets under management. And uh, let me first get your take on what we see today. Uh, there's not a lot of action in stocks, Tim, but there is a big uptake in rates, especially at the shorter end of the curve. And I think increasing concern about lingering inflation and rising rates. Yeah, yes. And that's probably overdue. You know, I think uh, so many other metrics have been showing these price pressures and, and certainly uh, company managers have been talking about it now for several quarters. Um, and, uh, you know, they've confirmed it doesn't look like it's going away anytime soon. We've seen it in the uh, in the prices of so many 
goods and services across the whole economic spectrum that I think now, you know, rates are finally just acknowledging and, and reflecting the reality that that we've all kind of seen and known for, for several quarters. And it, it's healthy. It needs to go up, I think, for not only investors uh, who are in those fixed income investments who, who need to hold them so that they can actually have a slightly better return and, and uh, hold on to more of their purchasing power. But um, it's also, I think, just healthy to have some rates move higher so that so many other assets like home prices and certainly the prices of stocks can start to be valued more, more fairly and not based on, you know, uh, in essence, zero interest rates. You know, Tim, when I, when I think of Oklahoma City, I think of, you know, oil, natural gas, and boy, WTI crude oil here at over $82 a barrel. You're in energy country, oil country. What's the feeling in Oklahoma City when they think about where we are in the energy cycle? Yeah, well, you know, I think um, I think so many people are feeling a little bit better about things. You know, we had a really rough stretch, and in many ways, you know, the energy industry was was victims of their own success. They were so successful at getting energy out of the ground that the supplies, you know, drove the prices down, and it was a great time for consumers as prices, you know, between basically 2015 and 2020 stayed really low. Um, and, you know, as such, producers were not as, uh, you know, not as uh, incentivized to go invest in new products and open up new, um, new sources of, uh, of production. And so seeing the price move up, I think, is, is you know, kind of like a bittersweet uh, ending to what's been a really rough time period. People are are, are uh, feeling much better about things. And because there have been such, uh, you know, so little investment in these areas, and because companies are so hesitant to go open up new sources, I think, you know, it's likely to stay maybe higher for, for longer, as we've been talking about inflation just in general. Yeah. Do you get the sense that people are still conservative? I know saving rate savings rates nationwide have gone up, um, you know, even as government spending has soared, is is concerned about future tax increases and, you know, just the um, volatility of the situation holding people back from investing in the future? Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I'm not sure exactly why there is so much cash and why um, so many people have made the decision to hold cash and, and hold things like, like short-term bonds or bank deposits. Clearly, the banks um, are over, you know, overcapitalized. They, they don't necessarily need those extra deposits, and that's why they're not earning anything on those. Um, you know, I think uh, we're probably going into a period of, of time in the markets where the last 12 to 18 months have been very easy. We haven't had any corrections. Everybody's enjoyed the ride higher. It's been a fairly smooth ride. But now because of those things that you just mentioned, um, you know, the government has spent, the government's gone into debt. It's likely that we'll have higher taxes moving forward. Everything else being equal, that's going to be a drag on growth. I think people and companies have held a lot of cash reserves um, because they don't know exactly what's coming. And it, it could be that, you know, growth is going to be slowing and then they want to have some, some uh, more conservative holdings. So I think markets are going to find and the economy is going to find we're going to have to earn our growth going forward more than we have in the last year and a half where, it, where it's been, you know, relatively smooth sailing. 
Tim, you mentioned uh, higher tax rates. What are you telling your clients uh, as they think about positioning their portfolios for an environment that will likely have higher personal and corporate tax rates? Yeah. So, you know, we still obviously don't know the, the specifics. We know in general that the, the trend is going to be higher, as you say, both on the corporate side. On the corporate side, that's going to lead all of the things being equal to slightly lower earnings than, than they would have been otherwise. And then on the personal side, um, changes in things like capital gains rates um, are, are going to probably move markets in, in some way as people reposition their portfolios for the, for the new tax rates that we're going to be living under. Um, you know, we're going to probably wait and see on, uh, on, on portfolio management in terms of the way that uh, these things come out. There has been some talk about the removal of the step-up in basis rule, although I think that's, that's probably dead. Um, more, right. more concerning to us are the planning tax rules. And um, so we're going to be watching more heavily on that side to see if people might need to make changes in their estate planning first right. and then probably look at portfolio management second. All right, Tim, thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate you lending some of us, uh, lending uh, your time to us. Tim Courtney, Chief Investment Officer, Accentual Wealth Advisors, located in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to interviews at Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you prefer. I'm Matt Miller. I'm on Twitter at MattMiller1973. And I'm Paul Sweeney. I'm on Twitter at PT Sweeney. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide at Bloomberg Radio.